Welcome back to another episode of the One Accord podcast. We've got another interesting and potentially controversial topic for discussion today. We're going to be talking about head coverings. So uh, let's get right into it. Let's bring in Brother Greg. Brother Greg, how are you doing this morning? Doing great, Joe. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, anything uh, new or exciting with you uh, this last week? You said uh, you're blessedly boring. That that uh, that trend <laughs> continuing in your life? Yeah, for the most part, we got a little bit of a, a head cold stuff going through the house. And so feeling hmm. a little under the weather. So if I make any goofy points, blame it on the sickness. <laughs> I see what you're doing. You're trying <laughs> yeah. to give yourself an out. No, that's uh, why well, I, I hope uh, I hope you all are restored to full health very soon. Thank and uh, let's go ahead and uh, bring in uh, Pastor Eric Love. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, Joe. And I'm Glad to be here with you guys having this discussion. Yeah. Anything uh, Anything new with you or uh, same old, same old? Uh, you know, pretty much same old stuff. Um, you know, just trying to uh, trying to get through the weekend. We got a we got a church uh, harvest party on Saturday, so we're trying to prepare for that, and uh, that's that's quite a bit of work, but I think it'll be worth it when it's all yeah. when it's all done with. Nice. Well, I, I pray the Lord will bless uh, bless that effort and that His name will be glorified, and so. Uh, well, it's it's great to be back with both of you uh, today. Uh, the only exciting thing that happened to me, I was putting on my shirt this morning and there was a spider in it. So that's not really how I'm trying to uh, start off most of my days. Uh, so I guess I'll, I'll give myself an out too. If I make any weird points, it's because I think there's a spider crawling on. Uh, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, all things considered, it's uh, it's wonderful to be back with you guys and to talk about uh, another issue from the scripture. And uh, I was actually eagerly anticipating this conversation, not because I'm overly interested in head coverings, but because as we were kind of talking before we began filming these episodes and making up our show sheet, um, I was surprised to find out that Greg in your household that you had recently uh, made a transition. And so uh, we'll turn it over to you to kind of describe the, the transition that you guys went through somewhat recently. And, uh, and then you can kind of explain to us kind of how, uh, how your time in God's word um, really made, uh, made some changes for you and for your house. Yeah, for sure. So about three months ago and, the process leading up to it started long before three months ago, but about three months ago, uh, my wife and I decided that first Corinthians chapter 11, um, had something to say for us still today. And that, and that we had an obligation to, to obey that instruction and that application. And so what that looked like, um, you know, really the first time I ever considered it, Joe, you and I were, uh, going through that mentorship program, where we were doing a systematic book by book study. And um, as we came to first Corinthians, you asked me, so, you know, what's your opinion on head coverings? And, um, you know, really up to that point, it was one of those things in the Bible where, you know, you, you put your eyeballs on it and you read it and, but it just doesn't jump out at you. And so um, you had explained your position and I, I'm sure you'd like to an opportunity to voice that, but you explained your position and uh, that seemed reasonable enough to me. And so, yeah, sure. Fair enough. And then, you know, a couple of years go by and I believe Alyssa was reading through, you know, she does a uh, read through the Bible in a year. And so she, she got to first Corinthians and um, she and her friend who she does it with, you know, they had questions on chapter 11. So she came, you know, what's, what's your opinion? And, and I, and I kind of gave her the response that, that you had provided and seemed reasonable. And, you know, as we talked about, it, I was like, well, you know, Maybe that's not as satisfying for us as, as we first thought. So, okay, we're going to pray on this. And so uh, we prayed about it, thought about it, and, and kind of just tabled it and said, Let, let's, just see, let's just see what God does as we, can, as we consider this moving forward. So, um, well, then as we read 
the Bible together. We got to first Corinthians and, you know, reading for, through first Corinthians. And then one night we hit chapter 11 and we just stuck there and it was like, okay, we, we can't move on. Um, we just, let's, let's start asking the text every question that we can think every, every question or every uh, roadblock to understanding. Let's just start asking the text and see if we can make sense of this. And so um, again, we, read we probably read the chapter five six times that night and prayed about it and then went wow you know here's where we come to we we think that this application is speaking to us you know, still has applicability to us today and so um i thought i'd actually start by by reading the chapter so that everyone has a, a clear and fresh understanding of what we're talking about um, if you want to follow along first corinthians chapter 11 beginning at, at verse 2, where Paul writes this, Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and that the man is head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying, disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. And so, again, as we, as we read that, as we interrogated the text, um, and especially as we saw this half a chapter in the context, the larger context of First Corinthians and, and what Paul is doing, um, beginning at chapter 7, he, he transitions out of one major block of teaching and into a next, where he's addressing questions that the Corinthians had written to him. And unfortunately, we don't have the questions. We don't know what you know, he's responding to something in this text, and we don't know exactly what their question is. But for each of those sections, chapters 7 through 14, um, those are direct responses to concerns they brought up. And um, it seems to me that he's going through in those chapters, laying down principles and laying down applications that he expected them to follow. And and funny enough, as I continued, so we came to this conclusion, we started doing it, and then I'm like, okay, I want to go do more research on this now. Um, and as we did, or as I did, and looked at the history 
and again, I'm not trying to fall back on the authority of church history necessarily, but it is, it was the consistent practice. Um, and I could give you names and such um, from the early church up until the late 18, early 1900s. Um, the position of women wearing head coverings was, was absolutely ubiquitous. It, it was the testimony of the church. Um, there, there are, you can find a person here, a person there that, that disagrees, but, but up until feminism uh, came on the stage, it was, it was assumed by every, um, every major teacher through every age of the church that, that this was the appropriate thing to do. And so, yeah, based upon, based upon what we saw in the text, uh, we decided to do that. And it wasn't an easy decision for us because <laughs> already, um, you know, we're odd. Uh, the church leaders are an odd household and, you know, we stand out in the church and, um, you know, we, we, we practice family integrated worship in a church that, that isn't, that holds, that, that doesn't, you know, profess to, to hold the family integrated worship. So we already stand out. And the last thing we want is to stand out for yet another reason or cause a distraction. Um, and so, um, it, it was hard for both of us going, we don't want, we don't want this to be our thing. You know, we, by no means do I want to be an evangelist for head coverings. Um, you know, if someone's listening to this and, and, you know, we get into the conversation and you hear me start to passionately argue for it. Um, my, my passion only comes from my desire to obey the word and, you know, maybe a pastoral concern that you would do the same. Um, not because I, I think head coverings are the, the greatest thing or, this is my cause du jour by any means. So, well, I, I appreciate uh, you sharing that because I, I said uh, at the beginning this was um, uh, a little bit of a, a sh again shocks too strong of a word, but just it was I was surprised you know that this was a transition that that you guys had made and um, <laughs> to even just to back up what you were just saying, it's not like you called me on the phone and and you know three months ago and saying hey I'm doing this and you got to do it. So I I found out kind of uh, organically. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I appreciate you filling in uh, for me that backstory and, and um, you know, I, I appreciate, I know like leading up to it, of course, this wasn't a decision that just was made overnight, but kind of the process going in. I would be curious, um, I haven't done the historical deep dive on this. And so, you know, uh, if you have some um, quotes or information that you found, you know, I, I'd love, you can maybe email me or something like that. I think that that would be uh, interesting to, to, to look at. Um, I did want to ask um, before I turn it to, to Eric and see uh, hear his thoughts. Uh, and it sounds like you kind of answered this, but I, I want to um, just dig a little bit deeper. You said maybe a, a pastoral concern that you have. Um, do you view this as kind of a Romans fourteen matters of conscience? People that do it should you know do it for the Lord, and people who don't do it, um, that's okay. Or do you view this as more of a um, it is actually sin? I mean, part of the last part of the text. And, and others that I've heard, and I, again, I don't want to say that you're saying what others have said, but I've, I've heard these claims. So I'm curious how you would um, talk about this. Um, do you think that this is something that, that Christians in general that don't practice um, head coverings are in sin and actually should uh, repent and, and move in that direction? That's a good question. I don't know that I've considered that. Um... Man, this is one of those cases where I wish there was a lot more teaching on it, right? Like our entire instruction about head coverings comes down to these 
15 verses uh, that I just read. And so I'll say this. Um, I, I think this is a clear instruction. I think this clear instruction is backed up by church history. Um, I'm definitely not going to go to war with some Christian uh, that says, you know, I disagree, Greg, you're wrong. Um, okay, fair enough. Um, but I would say this, that, you know, there definitely seems to be a resurgence of this idea. I think if you'd rewound the clock 10 years ago, the only person that I know uh, who was talking about this 10 years ago was R.C. Sproul. And, you know, he said something along the lines of, um, you know, where he and his wife fell on this issue was the Bible may have a command. The Bible may have an instruction that says my wife's supposed to wear a head covering. Um, and so I'm going to do that. But I know that the Bible doesn't have a, a command or instruction that says she shouldn't wear a head covering. Um, and so, so he fell there. Um, so as far as whether it's a sin or not, I don't, I'm not ready to come down somewhere, but also I think it's important. I think it's become a resurging issue lately in the church because of, because of our culture. Um, you know, as, as our culture gets more and more confused, not only on the roles of, of men and women, but on what is a man or a woman, um, it's quite possible that the Holy Spirit is, is kind of stirring up this issue afresh in order, uh, in order that the church might be a witness um, in, in a more full way for what, for the roles of manhood and womanhood. Yeah. Now, I, I think you're, you're definitely right about that. And, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, make you pick a side, of course, or take a stronger stance than, than you would. Um, I, I've, I've seen a bit of a resurgence in this issue as well. I, I know more people today currently that, that wear head coverings than, um, than at any other point in my Christian walk. Um, maybe that's, you know, I, you know, I don't know. Our personal experiences are, are very limited, right? And so um, m mine seems to match yours. Um, my, you know, my acquaint acquaintances and friends and, and people that I know uh, grew by at least one household when you told me, you know, so again, I, I'm, uh, I don't know if that qualifies as a resurgence necessarily, but um, I have seen um, some of this and, and certainly the, uh, the, the quote unquote culture wars that are going on, um, the attacks on, on biblical manhood, biblical uh, masculinity, femininity, um, these are conversations that are relevant, of course, to every generation. Um, and the current conversation is really, it's not new. It's just a, it's just our version of this, you know, uh, discussion. And so, um, I, I do agree with you hundred percent that this does have a, a clear implication. Of course, um, we do still currently disagree on the application of, of what that looks like. Um, and you have the benefit of at least knowing a lot of my position, because as you mentioned, we talked about it. I'll, I'll, I'll probably share some more thoughts about that. But Eric, let's uh, let's hear your perspective. Um, again, I don't want to um, necessarily direct, you know, your comments, but um, Greg mentioned, you know, he's he's not intending to be someone who stands out. As far as I know, um, your household's more like my household. You, you and your wife, uh, um, you know, your wife doesn't wear head covering just like mine doesn't. I don't think that the church that you're the pastor of um, has many uh, people who wear head coverings. And so um, from a pastoral uh, uh, perspective, I guess, if you had a family like Greg, uh, who was uh, standing out uh, a little bit, um, you know, what would you, how would you navigate some of those? Maybe, maybe you do navigate that now. And, and again, I, I just, um, 
I've had to deal with some of these issues. So I'm curious to get your take, um, not only as a, a Christian brother, but even as, as, a, as an overseer of a particular local body. Because this, this is one of those issues that it doesn't seem like for us is overly contentious, the three of us here talking, but this is something that can split churches, can tear people apart, can cause people to break fellowship. And I've, I've seen that in the past. I don't, I'm not sure if you have as well, Eric. So what, what are your thoughts? Uh, you asked Greg earlier if, if maybe he thought this might be a Romans 14 issue, a disputable matter, so to speak. And I think that's kind of where I I land right now with this. Um, if there are believers that that want to wear head coverings, um, I I don't have a problem with that. Um, if they if that's their conviction, then they should do it. Um, I think Christians that, that don't have that conviction should have the freedom to not do it. And I think we should be united uh, through that that kind of understanding of of the issue. So I, from a pastoral perspective, I would I would treat it as a more or less a Romans fourteen type issue. And as I as I read First Corinthians eleven, we'll get into this in more detail in, later on. But um, I can see different ways of interpreting the text. Uh, I I you know Greg uh, has a conviction that it's 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 required for women to wear head coverings and i and i understand that i can see why he would come to that conclusion um but i i also think there's another way to interpret it so i i see there's i i think i think we should apply some grace in this subject knowing that uh as far as i can tell there's there's more than one good way to interpret the text um and i and i i think that uh the different views are 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 understandable um but as far as uh, you, you mentioned uh, splitting churches, there was a man in the Friends Church who this was just a well, it was, it was several years ago now. But uh, he came under the conviction that First Corinthians eleven taught that women should wear head coverings, and his his uh, wife and daughters uh, began wearing head coverings, and he tried to get the denomination to to make this a one of its you know more or less doctrinal statements and the church wasn't willing to do that and so he left the he left the denomination uh over over that issue and moved and moved to another church uh up north so uh, that i've i've seen that um cause some contention within the the friends church so it's it's unfortunate that, that has to happen uh, but i i just really believe we need to give grace uh, on this subject and um, be understanding of people and realize people have different convictions. And there are some scriptures that, again, could be interpreted in more than one way, more than one reasonable way. And because of that, you know, we need to we need to be gracious and kind and understanding with one another. Would you agree? And, and don't hear, I'm not I'm not asking this question about this text necessarily. You say there's more than one good way, but would you you would agree there's one right way? Yes, right. So yeah, I mean, when one, I, when one I of say, us here, one or both of us here, are wrong, and I think yep. we're both we're both comfortable with acknowledging that. And I, I'm willing to say I could be wrong here. Um, yeah, when I say more than one good way, I mean yeah. there are more than one. There's more than one way that's at least understandable. Like you can see sure. why reasonable. the person would, would the reasonable. Yeah, you can see why the person would have arrived at the conclusion that they did. So that's that's what I meant by that. There can't be two correct answers. So no, I don't. I'm not that are different. That. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Right. Right. Yep. So, Eric, why don't you, um, you know, 
Greg read the text for us. And, um, you know, our last episode, we were talking about a, a much, you know, broader issue, but we did talk about the question of hermeneutics. And, um, you know, in, in that I, I said, I think that normal plain reading of the text is, is what makes sense. There's not some hidden spiritual meaning or, or, uh, you know, you don't need to be a, a guru or have some, you know, encounter with God on a mountain to understand what these things say, right? That the text means something. That's the view that I take. I think that you guys approach the Bible in similar ways. You come to the Bible, you say it, it God has communicated something to us and he intends for us to understand what is being said here. And so when we read this text, it does seem to, for many people to say, well, okay, he's saying women ought to wear a head covering. Um, so you say that there's uh, another view. I, I don't arrive in saying that the application is the same as what Greg's is, but, but what are you willing to can maybe share, you know, your, your perspective and at least maybe put both of these ideas on the table so that we can, um, maybe evaluate both. Um, is that, are you willing to maybe take us a little bit through your, your interpretation or the other, maybe the other reasonable view that, that you're describing? Sure. Yeah. Well, the first thing to keep in mind is the audience of first Corinthians 11 and the audience is the Corinthian church. And based on the studies that I've done in the past, um, and Greg had mentioned that, that the, there was sort of a consensus about, um, or maybe he didn't use the word consensus, but that many Christians believed that this was application for, for all Christians. But the, the studies that I had done um, led me in a little bit different direction. And I guess maybe just because I, had, I haven't read all the commentaries uh, from all the theologians on this chapter, but the, I read several. And the ones that I had read, I would say the majority of them uh, said that uh, head coverings were a sign of a woman's submission to her husband within the Corinthian culture. And uh, keeping your culture in mind is really important as a Christian because uh, we're supposed to be, we're not, we're supposed to be not offending uh, unnecessarily those in our culture. For example, you know, Paul said, I become all things to all men so that I might win some to Christ. And to the Jew, he embraced Jewish culture when he was around them. To the Gentiles, he embraced uh, Gentile culture to accommodate them. And I, I think that there's a sense in which, uh, you know, Paul's saying to the Corinthians, uh, you need to be accommodating to your culture in this way. And and also, and not not just because the culture uh, expects, you know, women to be in submission to their husbands, but because the Bible says that women should be in submission. Now, where where Greg and I probably differ, where we we would have to differ, is that Greg's saying that well, it's it's uh, the head covering is it's that's how everybody, that's how all women should show their submission uh, to their husbands. And I, I don't believe that. I actually, th this is where we diverge. I take the view that when Paul says wear a head covering, he's saying to the Corinthian women, because your culture views this as a sign of submission, uh, and, and the Bible says that you should be in submission to your husband, it is, it is appropriate um, and necessary for you to wear head coverings to, to show your submission to your husband and and to not offend uh, the culture in which you live. I think that's, uh, that's the idea there. And I think that, that the, 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 
the way that a woman expresses her submission to her husband is going to vary from culture to culture somewhat. Um, you know, some, some cultures may, you know, may want their women to uh, not say anything. Um, other cultures would be you know, a little bit more lenient on that. Um, some cultures want their women to wear head coverings. Other cultures wouldn't necessarily want to do that. Or it could it could apply to clothing beyond head coverings? It could it could deal with just dress in general. Uh, so I think I think Paul is he's talking about a um, an expectation within Corinthian culture that that the Corinthians were supposed to respect for the sake of their culture. Um, and also to uh, also because the women were supposed to be in submission to their husbands, and that was the way that they demonstrated their submission, expressed their submission within that particular culture. So I think that's um, that's the position that uh, that I take on the chapter. I don't think these are universal are ideas. Um, the submission is a universal idea, but the way that submission is expressed is is not universal. Yeah. So. I guess I would want to, uh, I have a few responses to that. I appreciate that. Um, couple of responses. First of all, if we, if we take that position that the first 16, well, the verses two through, or at least let's put it this way. I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to take this apart too much. If we take the position that this application is specific to the Corinthian culture. Um, I think we at least open the door. If we don't fall into the trap, we at least open the door to what stops someone from saying that every other application in this section, chapter seven through 14 aren't suddenly cultural as well, because there are other applications, other practices in this section that, that I believe you would say, no, 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 no. This is, this is regulative for, for, for the church at all times that you, that you wouldn't want to just say, ah, that's cultural. My second, um, my second response to that is I'll just read verse 16. But if anyone is inclined to be contentious, or if anyone's inclined to argue about this, we have no other practice, not, not, we have no other principle. We have no other, the practice as I read it, and again, I'm sure you'll tell me different, but as I read it, he's talking about the practice of head coverings. We have no other practice, meaning, which I take that to mean Paul and whoever's with Paul at his time of writing, be it Timothy or Titus or Apollos. But then he goes on to say, nor have the churches of God. All the godly churches at the time he was writing, um, had this practice. And so if, if, if I'm reading that properly, um, this isn't about Corinth because every godly church at that time, at least, uh, practice that. And that's where I think that opens the door to, okay, what do other godly people, what have other godly people believed since then? And, and I've created, you know, I, 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 I did not do the original research. I pulled this out of a book. Um, which had many quotes, you know, Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, um, John Chrysostom, uh, Jerome, Hippocleitus, Ambrose, uh, Basil, Theodore of Cyrus, uh, the Synod of, I can't pronounce that French word, Oxray, uh, uh, Thomas Aquinas, um, Martin Luther, Hugh Latimer, John Calvin, 
John Cotton, Puritan, uh, the the Lutheran Augsburg Confession, John Wesley, ha, huh? John Wesley wrote about this being so there, ha, trumped you. You got <laughs> um, it. You got the. Uh, you got, that's I got the magic. one. I said John Wesley, you know, uh, Jonathan yeah. Edwards, Charles <laughs> Spurgeon. Um, now, again, there were some. But so when I read verse 16, and, and really, you know, there are a number of arguments that Paul builds into this. Reasons why, right? Um, one is, you know, look at nature. Doesn't nature, you know, you look at a man and you go, a man shouldn't have long hair. Now, I know that our culture, we are steeped in this culture that says, well, no, I, I can't look at nature and and say that a man shouldn't have long hair. And I go, well, I would rather take Paul's interpretation of nature rather than the interpretation of nature that my culture has taught me. Um, and then he says, based upon creation. And interestingly enough, the creation argument is the same creation argument that he's going to use for why women shouldn't teach. And then, of course, he says, you know, they should, they should have this a symbol of authority because of the angels. And there's, there's, uh, there's at least three views of that that I've heard that um, while I don't accept all of them, uh, they're all at least compelling. Um, but then follows up with, we have no other practice, nor do any other church of God. And I go, okay, that that can't be just uh, restricted to the city of Corinth if all the other churches of God hold this practice. Checkmate, you got me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes! <laughs> um, okay, well... I, I don't know that I can compete with uh, Tertullian or Thomas Aquinas or the others, but um, let me uh, let me give you my take on 1 Corinthians eleven sixteen, When yeah. Paul says there's no other practice, those words can also be translated, there is no such practice. And the practice is either of being contentious or of women praying or prophesying with head uncovered. And we have to remember the context is dealing with prophesying with head uncovered specifically. Um, now, of course, it, it, it goes beyond that um, because we're talking about submitting to uh, to husbands. So it, it goes beyond that. But specifically, the, the, the section is dealing with prophesying with, with head uncovered. Or praying. If the, or praying. So if the former is correct, if, if Paul is saying we have no practice of being contentious, then Paul means that it's not his practice to be contentious about trivial things such as head coverings, and therefore the church can go its own way. Um, that's one possibility. That's one way that it's that it's been interpreted. Um, now, if the latter is right, which I I'm kind of inclined to believe that the latter is probably uh, closer to the truth. But if the latter is right, then Paul is saying that the consistent use of head coverings among women in other churches should cause the Corinthian women to follow the same practice. And again, this is the point I would emphasize. This is not meant to apply to every church in every era, but to situations in which society deems it proper for women to wear head coverings. So that's where, if, if that's the case, and, and I'm, I'm willing to go with you a little bit on that, if, if that's the case, what other practices, what other applications from this section can we, with as much authority, say we're only for particular cultures, and we can we can choose based upon our culture to um, not abandon the principle, but abandon the particular practice laid out by Paul. Well, if we're dealing with hairstyle and dress, things like that, um, I think that's I'm not a different... talking about. I'm, I'm, 
I'm not talking about hairstyle and dress. I'm talking about specifically verses or chapters. Well, seven well, well, through well I'm getting to that. Yeah. I'm, oh, I'm yeah, right. I'm getting to that. Um, yeah, I think, uh, if we're talking about, uh, cultural things like hairstyle and dress, if, if we're talking about that, that type of thing that falls into one category. Okay. If we're talking about, um, something like, uh, you know, how to take communion in the proper way. Okay, that would be something that's in a different category. That would that would that would not be that would not fall into the same category as as head coverings. By what now, standard? Well, let, let me say this though. I think that in 1 Corinthians 11 there is a there there is application for everybody for all women at all times and the application is submission to their husbands. Because that's something that Paul applies everywhere. That's something that he addresses everywhere. And uh, for example, he mentions that in Ephesians. He mentions it in Colossians. Uh, it's this is all over the place. He mentions it in First Timothy chapter two. So this is that's something that he speaks of as if it's a universal thing. Now, Paul, and again, we can. There's different ways to interpret First Corinthians and if I'm reading, eleven. And if I'm reading, hold, on, hold on a second. Oh, sorry, uh, sorry, Greg. So, so in First Corinthians eleven sixteen, I realize that can be interpreted in more than one way, but. If if that particular uh, if this particular command applies to everybody, um, you know, you wonder why Paul only mentions it here and nowhere else. And again, you could say, well, he's this is our practice in all the churches. Well, that's if Paul even meant that at all, and he may not have. We don't know. It's the the the, the language he uses is somewhat ambiguous. It could be interpreted in more than one way. Um, but I think the the application. There is universal application in chapter 11 if we're talking about submission, the submission of a wife to her husband, because that's, that's everywhere. And, it's, and Paul makes biblical, uh, biblical arguments for that. So I, uh, that, that's the way I would handle, I think, 1 Corinthians 11, 16. Uh, now, you mentioned um, nature, and I think that's, that's from uh, 1 Corinthians 11, Fifteen is that is that where you that, that's the verse you were reading correct? Uh, 14, when it comes to nature, fourteen and fifteen. Okay. Yeah, does do, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him, but if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Okay. So in First Corinthians four eleven fourteen, when Paul talks about long hair and dishonor, well, this actually wasn't always the case. In all cultures, um, and as a matter of fact, there was even exceptions in Jewish culture. Uh, this was not the case for a Nazarite uh, who was to grow his hair out uh, long for a particular period of time. Nor was it always true, even for Jewish men. Uh, there were Jewish men, uh, for example, Absalom had had long hair. Um, so if, if so, when Paul says, doesn't he, doesn't nature say that it's it's uh, it's not you know, right for a man to have long hair. Um, Paul Paul might be referring to the the general opinion of, you know, most nations throughout history, and particularly the opinion of those at Corinth. I think his main point is that according to nature, men should not be covered and women should be. Uh, and the latter is proven by the fact that women generally have long hair that act that acts as a covering. He says that in, in verse First Corinthians fifteen. So I, when he says nature, you know, nature makes it clear that, that men shouldn't have long hair. 
well, I mean, <laughs> some men did have long hair, and some men, even in Jewish Jewish society, had long hair. So I don't know that it's I don't know that it's so universal as that. Um, maybe he meant it universally, but if he did, I think that leaves more questions and answers. Uh, now he says in verse fifteen, long hair is you know the, the glory of a woman, uh, and I I think there's I think there's some truth to that. Um, nature teaches that it's fitting for a woman to have long hair; it makes her look beautiful and feminine. I think women are supposed to look a certain way. Men are not supposed so to. Women, what's that? It sounds like it sounds like, and, and I'm hoping you'll correct me. It sounds like you just said that nature doesn't necessarily teach that men should have long hair, but you're now saying nature does teach that women should have long hair. It sounds well, like you're arguing against well, what yourself. I, what, 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 no, what I'm saying is that when Paul says, according to nature, and, and you said this yourself earlier, Greg, that it, it, Nate, we could take nature to mean, well, this is, the, this is the general interpretation of people, okay? It's the general interpretation is that men should have shorter hair and women should have longer hair. And I, I, think, I think, you know, generally that's true. The question is, is that universal? Is this, is this completely universal? And if you look at Jewish culture, you know, Jew, Jewish men were not supposed to cut the sides of their hair. Uh, the size of their head. So, um, and, and again, Nazarites grew their hair out. So my, my point, my point is simply that when we say, well, nature just makes it obvious. Well, I mean, there's different ways of interpreting that. And he, and he could have, again, he could be saying, you know, in your, in, in Corinthian culture, you guys view this as, uh, there's, there's a way to do this. That's fitting. There's a way that's, that's done. That's, uh, not fitting. Um, so that's, that's one way to, uh, to, to interpret it. So I don't, see, I don't see any contradiction here. I think we need to, my, my goal is to not universalize statements that, that Paul is not necessarily universalizing. If he's, if he's universalizing something, fine, I would say go for it. But if some of these statements are not meant to be universalized, then I think we need to, we need to not universalize those. Yeah. So I, 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 would, I would completely agree with you on, on that. But I guess because... And this goes back to the rest of the argument. He doesn't only argue from nature, which I, I agree. Per, perhaps we could, we could say he's talking about something that's culturally obvious, though I would want to argue that I would rather have Paul telling me what culture is more right than my interpretation as I look around America. But, um, but he doesn't only, he doesn't end with the, with that argument. He, he argues from creation again, um, based upon the the same exact argument that he uses, and we all, I think, would say yay and amen uh, to women not teaching because of creation. And then he, he has the third argument. And now, please, again, I want to remind you, I would love for this instruction not to be here. Like, I'm not looking for another reason to make my family and make me look like the oddball. So um, I would be perfectly happy if I didn't read this in in verse 16 you know we have no other practice nor i would love to not interpret this as as the standard regulative practice among godly churches so my my arguing for this is just my passion for trying to be faithful not because sure. i love head coverings or i want to have head coverings no and i i totally and i totally get that greg and i'm not i'm not accusing you of 
wanting one thing or another. Let me let me address two things that you that you said. Um, you had said that you had mentioned American culture. I don't care anything about what American culture does. I am American culture sickens me. So um, in in many ways. So I am not appealing to American culture. I, what I'm saying is, as far as uh, you know, going back to nature. Well, according to the Corinthians and other cultures, and maybe even most, nature says that it's you know it's not fitting for a man to have long hair, and it's not fitting for a woman to have short hair. Um, that's that that might be the case in in most cultures, and I think that I think Paul is being culturally sensitive here. But I'm not, and, and again, the Jew, the Jewish culture would be, I think, in some ways, an exception to that. So again, I don't think we should universalize that. And I'm not appealing to American culture. American culture is not the standard at all. So the second thing I would say is, you know, you mentioned um, he uses scripture here, and he does, and he mentions creation, the order of creation, and and uh, things in Genesis. The question is, what what is he trying to prove? And I I, I would argue. That when Paul mentions these verses from Scripture, he's not trying to prove that head coverings are universal. He's trying to prove that women should be in submission to men. The head covering thing is just a way of saying this is how you express your submission to your husband in your culture. Okay, so the scriptures are have the scriptures have nothing to do with head coverings, actually. Nothing at all. The verses he uses are simply meant to make the point that that wives are supposed to be in submission to their husbands. That's the point that he's trying to make there. And that's how the only the, point. How do you Go read ahead. how do you read the first half of verse 10? Let me, let me get there real quick. Sure, yeah, of course. Yeah, well, and and how I would how I would respond to that when Paul says uh uh it's it's a symbol of a symbol of authority on her head. Yeah, I think therefore, the most, a woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Yep. I think the most likely interpretation is that Paul is referring to a head covering, which in Corinthian culture was a sign of a woman's submission to her husband. Uh, now, Because of some, the angels. Yes. Yeah, so, now, some understand this to be referring to a woman's own authority to pray and prophesy during church assemblies. And again, again I think we have to we have to... Keep in mind the context. We're dealing with a particular situation here. We're dealing with women praying and prophesying in the church. Um, so I, I think I think that has to be, you know, that has to be considered too. Uh, now, as far as angels, this is this is the part that gets. <laughs> this is the part where where there's probably the greatest diversity of opinion, uh, because Paul says this sort of in passing. He doesn't explain what he means by this. Um, there's, there's some, I think, bizarre interpretations. Uh, there, there are actually some Christians who believe that a woman should, should wear a head covering so as not to, uh, cause angels to lust after them and come down. That is, and, yeah, that is one common interpretation. And, and fornicate with them, like in Genesis chapter six. Uh, some, some people have that view. Um, we, we don't want any more Nephilim roaming around. We don't want any more Nephilim sure, roaming sure around. Don't. We don't, the Nephilim got, are got troublemakers. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So yeah. That's, uh, so I've, that's, I've actually heard two other interpretations of this, and and I guess I'd like to get your opinion on it. Mm -hmm. The first, and I heard that I don't know that it came out of the ESV Study Bible, but it was an ESV Bible, and the note in there said that. Um, and, and and if this is the case, I I think you've your argument might be a little bit better for being cultural. They said um, 
the word angels there. You and I, we all know that angelos can be interpreted as angels, as the you know heavenly beings, or it could just be messengers. And so um, one interpretation says, oh, Paul is saying because of the messengers who brought you this letter while they're there, make sure you're not offending them because this, again, this is the practice that they're used to, um, which maybe that's, maybe that's compelling. Um, another interpretation or another way that I've heard that you could read this is, you know, as, as Christians gather, as the angels are encamped around the saints, here are these heavenly beings that, um, you know, some have the right to stand in the presence of God. These are holy and, um, righteous beings. They come in to our assemblies and they see something, a practice, not wearing head coverings that, that is against the will of the Lord. You know, here, here's the saints gathered together to worship and you're not doing something and therefore offending them, um, through a lack of proper, um, proper worship. So either of those compelling to you or. Well, you know, honestly, Greg, I, I just, I don't have a, I don't have a strong opinion on that simply because it's so incredibly vague. Yeah. Uh, I think that, that angels could possibly mean messengers. And as you said, and you're right, that, that uh, sometimes the Greek word uh, can simply mean a human messenger. It doesn't have to mean a heavenly being, although sometimes it does. Um, but I, I just, I simply don't have a, a, a strong opinion on that. I just, I think it's, I just think it's probably too vague to draw any kind of a concrete conclusion on. Fair enough. So uh, it's interesting to, you know, to hear you guys discuss and, and um, I, my position is probably somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, I do think that, uh, although I haven't done the historical deep dive, Greg, it sounds like you've done a lot more historical research, um, you know, uh, than, than I have on this. Um, within the text itself, it talks about, uh, this no other churches of God having a, a different practice. I, I am compelled that this was a universally or at least mostly universally practiced that the Corinthians were deviating from standard practice and it was causing issues, um, whether it was causing issues with the human messengers or with angelic, uh, you know, spiritual visitors um, in any, in any way, I, I do think that that Paul was making a point. However, the cultural aspect of what Eric's bringing up uh, is compelling to me because I just don't think that the, the you know, the Greco-Roman culture wasn't confined just to Corinth. And I know that there are, just like in the United States, there's, you know, there's a different culture in the South than there is in the, the Midwest than there is in the, you know, the, the, the West Coast or the East Coast. But there is also an overarching American culture. And so while there are regional differences, um, there are also, um, you know, the, the Greco-Roman culture does still impact in a lot of ways. And, and it's not shocking to me to find that outside of Corinth, that everybody had the same understanding of this symbol. And I think that Eric, your point is a very good one. Um, it's at least compelling to me. And it's, you know, I'm not, not because I, you know, Greg, like you, you, you say, and I believe you that if you could be convinced otherwise, it's not like you're passionate about this because you want to, you want to have your wife wear a head covering when she prays or prophesies or, you know, that's not, that's not, and I've known you long enough to know that that's true. I mean, I can vouch for that. Um, I've said something similar about evangelism because I, you know, I don't particularly enjoy the process of it. So <laughs> I, I wish someone could compel me uh, to say, no, God's word doesn't bind us to this. But, but I believe that all of us on this call that our, our, 
our passion is to do what God's word tells us. And I know that all of us have done things that are, you know, make us uncomfortable. And I do want to uh, live in a biblical culture. Um, but I think that the cultural issue, it's not as simple as, okay, well, do we just get to say, well, God's, God said it this way. And so that's, that's what everybody understands. If we live in a culture that everyone wears head coverings, let's say, for example, we don't live here in the United States. Let's say we live in the Middle East where this practice is still culturally practiced everywhere. Women do wear head coverings. And then as Christians, we come into this gathering and all of a sudden women are now taking these things off. That would be a very shocking statement. Um, and so in our culture, um, to put on a head covering, even in Christian cultures, because it just isn't unlike uh, this letter to the Corinthian church where Paul says, we don't, we don't have any other custom. And that, that word is interesting because, Greg, that was a very interesting point that you made as well. It's not about an application but about, or a, a principle, but about a practice. Um, so this is an interesting word for practice. There, there's a lot of different words that are translated practice in the New Testament. Um, this one is, is um, like a custom. And so I do think that the, that does have a connotation of this is a cultural practice. We have no other cultural practice. And so in order to take this off, it is making a, a drastic statement, whereas in America today, we do have a different practice. We do have a different custom. And putting that on is something that I don't know that anybody, I don't know that anybody understands. Maybe few people, some people might see it, but others, others view it and they don't immediately go, oh, okay, you're, you're in submission to your husband or you're in submission to the, the church leadership. So I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on, on that part of it. Yeah, for sure. So, um, as part of, you know, looking up things, um, found that again, up until the late 18, early 1900s in America, this was the practice. And as the practice was going away, uh, women were staging protests in churches where the church or church service would start and they would stand up and march forward. And at the time, the covering was a hat and they'd take their hats off and throw the hat up at the pulpit and then storm out. And, and I go, okay, so at some point, again, falling back on a church history argument um, for, for nearly thousands of years, this was the almost universal practice. And then we transitioned out of that um, through something that at least in some cases was a disobedient, rebellious practice. And now we have this culture that, that practices the opposite of what appears to be written here in in chapter 11 and I say, well, man, that seems like we're building to, to use, to use the fact that we currently are in this situation as an argument to continue in this situation. Seems like we're building on a, on a house made out of, made in the sand. And sure. so I would say, I would say, why are we, why does our culture say no head coverings? Well, it appears to me based upon many, many, many years of, of feminist thought that says, Women shouldn't have a symbol of authority because women aren't under authority. And I would say, okay, my, you know, I, I don't have a big platform. I don't have a big voice. Um, fighting this cultural culture war and, and, and reclaiming my portion of, of, of the earth is very small. But if, if that looks like very quietly me and my family obeying 
what seems like a clear instruction to display this um, this principle. Um, I go well if that's if that's how I fight back in a very small, quiet uh, way, then then I think I'll do that. Yeah. No. And I, as a a, a Romans fourteen principle of conscience, I believe that. You know, if you're convicted that this is what you should do, that you should do that. I have zero interest in trying to convince you to to not do this practice or to think that it should stop. And I'm appreciative, um, you know, not only just as your friend, but uh, as a as a pastor of your um, seemingly uh, uh, m- more docile view of this, because you don't you're not intending to try and tear the church apart by by doing this. Um, because I think that many people in trying to latch on to what they, again, think that this text is saying, um, ignore other texts and become contentious and want to fight about it, which this text itself says not to do. Uh, and of course they say, well, I'm not fighting. Well, you are, and you're, you know, trying to tear up. And so I appreciate that. And again, I'm not your pastor, but I'm thankful for the leadership that you are under, that you're not trying to stir up strife or, or trouble or difficulty as a process. But again, my, um, my agreement with you in, and, and Eric, you said it as well, of, of our, um, our fighting back against the culture. I don't want to uh, give the idea that I'm saying, well, this is just the culture that we have, so let's just, just deal with it. That's, n- that's not really the argument that I'm making. The, uh, the argument that, I'm, that I am making is that they had no other culture, and then the Corinthians were fighting it off. They were the historical manifestation of the, the women coming up and throwing their hats down. And I think that that generation should have taken that fight seriously. And had they won that fight, uh, culture war, quote unquote, um, and now it was, we inherited a culture in which these symbols were understood, then I think that would still be our fight. I think we should cling to that. Um, Unfortunately, that boat has sailed. And this is not a symbol that is understood anymore. Because like it said, this is a symbol of authority and symbols are meant to be understood. And no, I don't think almost anybody understands this symbol anymore because it's not our symbol. And I don't want to become like a, um, uh, and again, this isn't a shot at the Amish, although they're probably not watching a YouTube video. So I guess uh, it's safe. I've Um, met some that do. (laughs) Sure. Um, yeah, I'm not taking a shot at the Amish, but you know, they kind of grabbed a time in history and said, okay, we're going to cling to this. It's interesting to me that when people talk about, you know, this time in history, this particular facet of, of feminine clothing, that they don't argue for the to really go all the way to say that we as men should also wear this, the the symbols of masculinity from this culture, because if I came to church dressed like a, a man from the Greco Roman society, it, it probably would look like I was either wearing a bathrobe or a or a dress. And but we have no I instruction was, to do that, though, right? Like, let, let's pretend. And again, I know I'm asking you to go out on a limb. Uh, let's grant me for just a moment that there is an instruction that women even today should be wearing head coverings. There is no instruction that men today should be wearing togas or whatever robes or whatnot. So, so while I agree with you, um, I don't think that this necessarily carries that same force. I would be more uh, persuaded if there was a command for head coverings in the law, for example, but I don't see that. Instead, I see this being given by uh, a, 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 a Jewish man to a Gentile, predominantly Gentile church in the church age, speaking about the expression of culture at that time. And 
probably, again, this is my con- reconstruction. I'm, I'm speculating a little bit, but as you mentioned, we don't have the list of questions that they ask. We don't have all of the instruction that Paul gave them. We have a good idea of the kinds of things that he talked about. We know that he spent a lot of time in Corinth. And so um, I know that he would have covered a lot of the same things that he wrote about in his other epistles. And my guess historically is that the Corinthians, they were mixed up about a lot of stuff, why they wanted some clarification on these questions that they were asking, that they were misinterpreting or misapplying uh, the principle that Paul had taught. And he, I think he wrote it in the book uh, of Galatians, but the idea that there's now no male or female, no Jew or Gentile, no slave or free, um, that, that in Christ we're all one. And so they were misapplying that. And, and that's what he says in, in, uh, in verse two. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. So Eric, you brought that up, that, that there, is a, there is a principle, an eternal principle, a, a nature principle that, um, that God has made men and women different. Um, both are beautiful, both are wonderful in their uh, creation. Both can have aspects of, of what they've made that can go awry. And then as a culture, cultures do have expressions of masculinity and femininity. Sometimes those expressions can become toxic or, or bad. Um, and so we should want to hold on to the, the, um, the divinely appointed aspects of those things, but how each culture expresses those. As I read this again, we have no other custom. He says, you know, in the Greco Roman, it's, it would, it'd be like if we were in Saudi Arabia, it'd be like, we have no other custom, like women wear head coverings. That's just what we do. So for you to take these things off, um, it's not so much uh, a, a command for them to put them on. I think they were already on. It was a command for them to keep them on and not remove them when they were in the gathering. That's what I, how I read this, if I'm that's, trying to that's get an important the point. that's here. Yeah, and me- so as that, as that aspect, then, do we need to push back against our culture that's trying to say men and women are indistinguishable, we don't know what a man is, we don't know what a woman is? That's, that's our fight today. Um, and because we are, as a culture, trying to have many different customs where um, in the church, outside of the church, in society, you know, nobody knows what a man or a woman is anymore. And I want to v- cling very tightly to that, not about the, the, um, you know, the, the particular style of clothing or even hairstyles. You know, uh, even when men have had longer hair historically, like in the 70s, um, longer and shorter, long and short are imperative terms. And so even, you know, I, I didn't live in the seventies, but I look at pictures in the seventies, men had long hair, like to their shoulders and women had longer hair down to their butts or their ankles or something. And so while all of those are long to me, um, you know, I, I almost feel like I have long hair now and I want to get a haircut again because <laughs> I don't, you know, it's all, these things are in some ways relative. And so, and you had asked, um, to kind of piggyback on that, what other things from here do I view as, as being quote unquote cultural commands? Um, at the end of this book, he, he commands them to greet one another with a holy kiss. Do you greet people with a holy kiss, uh, at, at, uh, at your yeah, local no, congregation? For, for sure. I don't, but let me, so if I could just respond to that, um, the same, and I think I said this before, but the same argument and actually Paul uses a number of arguments here in, in chapter 11, um, but one of them 
he recycles and reuses about women teaching in the church. And unless I'm, I know Joe, you, you don't have women teaching the church. I guess I would assume Eric, you don't. Um, why is the argument presented there not cultural when it comes to women teaching in the church, but it is as part of, as just one of many arguments, why is it just cultural here? So uh, I'll, I, I'm interested in Eric's response. So let me just briefly say mine. And then Eric, I, I'm very curious to hear how you would respond. Um, that's why I, I want to be careful to say, I'm not saying that this is only cultural. And, and what Eric said, I agree with 100% earlier. And I don't want that to get lost. The principle of, of uh, masculinity and femininity and of male headship, both in marriages and in the church, that is taught by nature. That is how we are by design. And anybody who would say, well, what's the big deal about, you know, maintaining these clear lines of masculinity and femininity? Um, that's what I think is the issue. And their particular cultural expression of that, do I think that femininity, um, do I think that my, my wife's expression, a symbol of, of me being the head of our household is her putting on a head covering? I don't. Um, I think that, that that is understood in, in different ways in our culture and that we should express that in culturally appropriate ways, just like the holy kiss. I do not kiss people at our church um, because that would be inappropriate. If I, if I attended church in France, I probably would because they do greet each other with a holy kiss. There are culturally appropriate expressions, and I don't think that his command um, in a, a culturally expressed thing, it, there is a, a, an issue of saying, um, greet one another be kind to one another, be hospitable and, and, and gracious, um, admitting fellowship and all that kind of stuff, um, but doing it in a culturally appropriate way. And so I don't want to throw away, because there are some who would take this cultural argument, and I've, I've seen that. They say, well, it was just cultural, and so now we can have women teachers, and, and there, there is no difference between men and women. And um, you know, I'm not an egalitarian. I am a, a definite complementarian. And I think that is the issue both here and in those other texts, that we want to maintain that complementarian nature. And in their culture, they had no other practice. In our culture, we do. We have variated practice. And so no matter what land we live in, whether we do the holy kiss or we do a handshake or a fist bump or a head nod, hey man, what's up? Whatever it is that we do, it should be culturally appropriate and we should maintain that. Likewise, I think that in every church, um, we shouldn't be contentious about the fact that that the men should be taking the lead. And, you know, many men, Christian men, I don't say this to be condemning, they need to step up and lead their households because they are, um, man, I, there's so many words that I want to say. Uh, I'll echo it to be condemning. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> there are so many men who are so lackadaisical. They do not take any of this seriously. There are churches that do the same thing. The women are volunteering for everything, leading everything. The men are doing who knows what. And, um, and so, you know, the, the men are, to borrow a, a, a silly, antiquated phrase, you know, the men aren't wearing the pants um, or they're not wearing the togas if we want to go all the way back. They're just, they're not being men. And so, you know, I completely reject wholeheartedly, unequivocally, the, the foolish idea of our culture that to be a man is toxic. It is not. I'm wearing a shirt about biblical manhood, like bi restoring biblical manhood is something that is important. And biblical femininity is important. That is, I think, the issue that's here. And I don't think that that's the expression of masculinity and femininity might be different 
but the issue shouldn't be in like there there should be no culture that says well we have again my opinion women pastors women elders women teachers no culture should do that and i think that's the heart of the issue um as i understand it but again that wasn't as concise as i'd hoped so eric what what are your uh what are your thoughts on on this well I, i'm in agreement with you joe i think um and greg had, had asked about you know what 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 is paul trying to express or like and I think how you how you asked it, Greg, was um, you know, if 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 one thing is cultural, why isn't the rest cultural? I think in First Corinthians, again, the the underlying principle is a wife should be submissive to her husband. And that was expressed in Corinth and, and in other places, no doubt, by in every a, church of God. Well, let me get to that in a second. By a woman wearing head coverings. Now, in all the churches, Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles not an apostle to the Jews, although he did minister to Jews. And when he says, this is our custom in all the churches, or our practice in all the churches, uh, he, he may very well have just meant Gentile churches. Now, the Jews uh, didn't necessarily practice these, these things. Now, I, I will say that I think, there's, I think uh, the women might have wore head coverings, but also I had read somewhere that uh, Jewish men often, uh, often prayed to God and read scripture with their heads covered, not uncovered. And that would be completely uh, going against what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11. So I'm not convinced, again, that, that Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 is laying out universal principles for every, every single church uh, of, for all time. I think he was addressing a unique cultural um, thing of, that, that, that was important in Corinth. Uh, also, again, um, and I think, and Joe, you said this earlier, and this is kind of the, the point I was trying to make when I mentioned the Nazarite, the Nazarites and other Jewish men, is that, you know, Paul says, well, this is just, you know, it's just nature tells us that, that men, you know, should be one way and women should be another. Um, again, the underlying principle there, I think, is what he's emphasizing. And the, the principle is that men should act a certain way and should have a certain role and have a certain position and women should have another. And, uh, and again, that, that, that looks different from culture to culture. Uh, Jewish men, they, they didn't cut the sides of their head. Uh, their hair grew out in that area. Nazarites grew their hair out. Um, so I, again, I think that's, I think we're dealing with cultural d- distinctions here. Uh, so I, so when Paul says we do this in all the churches, well, all the Gentile churches that Paul ministered in, I think is probably probably what he was talking about. I, I don't know that you can make a good case that that all of this stuff was a, was practiced in in Jewish churches, uh, or, or maybe in, maybe even in some in other Gentile churches. But I think it's there is the universal application is women should be in submission, and uh, that's that is not a cultural thing. That's something that is, that nature makes clear it's something that scripture makes clear and uh gender roles really are a thing that's not uh, a, a human invention and i think that we need to stick to that and let me if if, if you if you'd allow me to just go way back um to something that you said greg about how that kind of it was almost like you were saying the feminist movement sort of was it originated from the women in the church casting their hats down and and refusing to wear head coverings, and I'm I'm sure that you, I'm sure you would say that that wasn't the only thing that led to it. But, um, but you know, honestly, 
I think in our culture today, I, I really don't believe that we're going to convince women that they need to be submissive by practicing the wearing of head coverings. Like Joe said, I don't think most people have a clue what that even means. And I, I, th I think I actually believe that that sort of distracts from the bigger problem. And the bigger problem is that we just, we don't see any difference at all between men and women. Uh, we think the, this absurd idea that men and women are no different. They, uh, you know, they, they can do all the same things, which is of course not true. Um, so I, I think, I think the solution is not to go back to head coverings, but to just, to really, you know, emphasize the biblical teaching uh, that men and women are created by God for, for different, different roles. And uh, we, and we can see that and, and nature makes it abundantly clear. I mean, Men uh, are physically stronger than women. They have greater bone density. They, um, you know, their, their skeletal structure is different. Uh, you know, men are far more aggressive than women are. They have, they have higher testosterone levels. And there's a myriad of other things. And, and nature shows us that men obviously have a different role than, than women do. And I think if we, we need to, you know, we need to express what Scripture says. We need to teach what Scripture says and use um, facts. I mean, use, I mean, this is, again, Paul says nature. I, I say science. Science makes it abundantly clear that there's a vast difference between men and women. Anyone that's been alive for any length of time knows that's, that's the case. So I, I don't think wearing head coverings is going to solve the, the feminist problem. That's, no, that's I, just, I, that's my opinion. I, I'm definitely not arguing that my wife wearing a head covering is going to solve the feminist issue. And I realize um, you didn't my, go take it that far. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My point is, um, first of all, the instruction, what's being argued about here isn't at its core, the difference between men and women. What's being argued here is about the hierarchical nature, the authority of a man over his wife and them submitting to Christ. And so just saying, well, look, obviously men are different than women um, doesn't get to what he's talking about. He's talking about having a symbol that demonstrates this for everyone to see. And now, you know, we're a, I don't want to, I don't want to take this down a bunny trail, but we're a, we are a faith that uses symbols to communicate very important truths. Baptism is a symbol that communicates our death, burial, and resurrection with Christ. Now, there are, are some people who fall within what I understand to be a hyper-dispensational camp that says baptisms are no longer for the church today. Um, that symbol doesn't apply to us. We have the symbol of communion. Um, we don't have any Lutherans or Roman Catholics here, so we don't I don't believe any of you would hold to we are eating the physical body or drinking the physical blood, but that symbol is communicating something very true, very profound, and we are going to continue uh, that symbol. Now, if you if you want to say to me, Greg, um, using what I what I learn here, um, my family, pra the the symbolic representation and proclamation of this truth. Um, we, we do X, Y, and Z. Okay. Maybe, maybe that's fair enough. 
um, but maybe not. Um, and I'm afraid. So listen, I, I struggle with this. How much should scripture regulate our corporate worship, for instance? Um, you know, there are other areas that we could go to. First Corinthians 14. I go, man, we like, we aren't, we, the church aren't doing it the way Paul describes it here. Um, you know, first Corinthians 14, 26 on, um, we don't practice that. Well, is that okay? Because we can say, well, that was their culture and not our culture. I, I don't think so. And I'm not trying to tell you that I do this perfectly or that I, I would do it perfectly if I were in charge of some local church. Um, but I, my fear is the more we get away from scripture regulating it and the regulation here seems to be having a symbol of authority on their head. Um, I think the, I think the more we're kind of venturing off on our own, um, and, and taking more of a normative stance. Well, do you, do you think though that, and I guess maybe this is oversimplifying it probably, but rather than a woman demonstrating her, her submission to her husband by wearing a head covering, I think she should demonstrate it by actually being submissive. Hmm. I think that's, that's, I, I don't, that, I don't disagree. <laughs> and, and, and I realize you, and I realize you already believe that, but I think, I think that, and I think that's the whole point that Paul, that's, that's the underlying thing there. That, that that Paul was was getting at was be submissive. Don't just look submissive, be submissive. But he does and say I, look submissive too, though. Well, I mean, I think you're, you're going to do both, but but it's the the way that that's, that submission is expressed again. It's, I mean, it it you you could be, in other words, you can you can wear a head covering and not be submissive. Amen. See? So so again, I think the, I think the head covering thing, it's. Again, going back to the Jewish culture, or I'm sorry, not Jewish, but Corinthian culture. I think, I think it's we have to be sensitive to our our culture, and the women should, should women should wear head coverings uh, to you know to fit into the culture in that way, and and that was a culturally that was an acceptable way to to submit to the culture. I mean, a godly way because it was consistent with with the biblical teaching that women should be submissive. But, um, but I think that, again, the underlying idea is be submissive. Um, and again, look, you can look, look submissive in your behavior, not, not necessarily in your clothing. Although for the Corinthian culture, it clothing was, you know, that was, that was a part of it. But I think, again, it's just the, I think the main point is look submissive by acting submissive and for, for what it's worth, I guess I just, and I, and I know, Greg, you're not disagreeing with yeah. that. And I, I'm not, yeah. that's not a correction so think, of you because you already believe that. But think of that clarify. culture. If, if, the, if we were a culture, which we're not, but if we were, and think back even to the, to the example that you gave us of, of women walking in with their hats on and then throwing them down, think of what a statement that is. And so there was a, there was a, a very particular issue that was happening there. And we're Corn. the result of that sure. right now. No, I, I don't disagree. Like I said, I, I, in many ways, wish that we would go back to, and it's not that, like, I don't, I don't think that there was ever like a perfect time. I, I like the fashion of the twenties, you know, men could be wearing suits all the time and hats everywhere we go. Like, I, I thought that was a good looking, you know, I grew up in the eighties, not a lot of good looking uh, style choices made back then. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't go back to the good old days. I certainly don't want 
And I think there's a danger. A lot of people, you know, even listening in on a conversation like this, you see three guys talking about how, you know, women should be submissive, um, think that that means that we're, you know, chauvinistic and we're, we're trying to, you know, keep our women you know, under our thumbs or, or, or whatever else. Um, and the world is constantly lying about to us about, you know, what, what joy, where it can even be found, you know, what joy it is to be, to realize that God has made men and women different. You know, the, 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 the confusion that comes from people trying to blur those lines, it's not yielding anything good. All the fruit from that is, is rotten. Um, and we won't, we won't fully eat the fruit of it until, you know, several generations from now, just like we're still eating the fruit of those decisions back when, you know, again, I don't know what the data that was. Um, maybe you have it, I don't, maybe you said it and I missed it, but yeah. you know, we're still eating the fruit of that decision. Um, and, and so, you know, I'm, I'm with you in first Corinthians 11. Um, you know, you were reading from the new American standard, that word symbol is in italics. That's not in the Greek. That's, that's, sure. That's added sure. by the interpreter, the interpretational decisions of the translators. They ought um, to have literally authority says, on their head. Yeah, a woman has to have authority on her head. And so again, that gets back to the issue of, of my interpretation of this is that, um, Eric, what you just said, I would say I agree with. A woman ought to have authority on her head. And that is, I believe, obvious. Um, I have seen, you know, and Greg, I don't think your wife falls into this category, so this isn't a shot at you, but I have seen. Um, and Eric, maybe some of your thoughts are coming from this perspective. I'm not speaking for you. I'm only speaking for me. Some women who wear head coverings, who are the loudest, um, most attention grabbing, biggest busybodies, um, you know, they are, they are in no way submissive to their husbands. Um, and it's just astonishing that they think that that symbol then almost gives them carte blanche to be completely unbiblical. Whereas I have also seen the reverse that is true of, of, uh, godly women who are clearly, um, submissive to their husbands, uh, in a, in a, a Christ honoring way. And that authority is clearly on their head, whether they're wearing a head covering or not. It's just, it's obvious about their, the way that they present themselves, the way that they speak, the way that they, you know, they don't belittle their husbands. You, you know, I mean, you know how many women are constantly talking down about their, their, their husbands. They don't honor them or respect them. Um, and of course that goes the other way too, right? Men are supposed to love their wives as Christ loved the church and not supposed to try and force them into submission. So, so again, this argument cuts both ways, but you know, my, um, my love for my wife should be obvious, uh, about my lifestyle and submission, that authority on her head should be obvious. Now, if there is a culturally accepted, uh, sign of that, like a head covering, and we come in and we take it, throw it down at the pulpit, <laughs> that's making a pretty big statement. And so again, for me, as I read this, and I, I agree with you, Greg, I agree with the sentiment. I, I don't want to deviate from scripture. I do want for my household, my wife and I, when we come to this past, we have the same conversations that you and your wife did. We, what, is this, what does this mean? What does this look like? And I know that my wife is willing to wear a head covering. Um, I, haven't, I haven't told her to do so. Um, because I'm not compelled that that symbol is understood. I do believe that anybody who knows us, knows our family, um, they see that our household is ordered properly. That, you know, I, I do have authority as the head of our household. And, um, you know, the world might not like that, but I don't care. Um, you know, they can, they can run their households however they want to. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I think that the Lord's ways are, are better than the world's ways. And my wife and I are, are happily married, uh, love each other more now uh, after almost 
two decades of marriage than than we did on the day that we set our vows. You know, marriage can get better and better, sweeter and sweeter. That is actually a possibility. Amen. And it's not because I'm always bossing her around and making her make me chicken pot pies and bring me my beer when I'm sitting in my pie. recliner or whatever. I'm the lord of this recliner. You know, that's not that's not <laughs> what that's not what it looks like in our household. And my position of authority is a position of service to my family, to lead my family, and I know that I have to give account to the mem- to to God for the members of my household. Just like Eric, you and I as pastors, we have to give account for the people that we shepherd. That's, these are huge responsibilities. And it is tied because people, you know, submission is always a dirty word. Rebellion is always this dirty word. But this, this, the son submits to the father. And so it, submission is even a godly characteristic. And people don't, our culture hates that. My goodness. But all of us have people that we have to submit to. And so the idea of trying to blur these lines, I do think that that's the issue that's here, which is why we haven't been compelled. But Greg, as I listen to you again, I, I'm, I'm thankful for your experience. Uh, I'm thankful for your care for looking at the text and I'm thankful for your desire to do what you think that the Lord is telling us to do. And, and I, I wish, you know, I wish that that spirit was present in all Christians because I think we would be doing better. You mentioned first Corinthians 14. I don't think we have the time to get into it. Um, but you know, these, these issues of interpretation are difficult because, um, and I, I want to make sure I'm not misquoting you. You were talking about in 11 that women ought to have their head covered when praying and prophesying. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's how I read this. Yeah. 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 Um, and then in 14, it says that the women should be silent in the churches. Yeah. And so, and, and silent doesn't mean just quiet. It means not making any sound. And so there are, there are some issues there, there and, and it makes the, the interpretation of this difficult. And I, I, I am curious what your guys' thoughts are on issues like that, because, um, you know, if, if every single person, you know, none of us attend huge churches, mega churches, but it, even if the church is the size that we attend, if every single person had a song for us to sing, um, we'd be there until Tuesday afternoon. Then if everybody has a word, oh my really? word, now we're never most people, It's my experience. Most people in the church don't want to say anything. They, right. they want to sit there passively and, yeah. you know. So, so a, yeah, active church membership <laughs> is important. But the, the question of what exactly is going on in 1 Corinthians 14 is interesting because some would say that Paul's contradicting himself, that he's saying that women, uh, you know, are, are allowed to pray and to prophesy, but then he's saying that they can't prophesy and they can't teach and they can't, they can't even say amen. They can't even sing songs. They have to be silent. Um, and so there are a lot of interpretational issues that do, um, that require an answer. And I, again, I, I, I appreciate you asking questions of the test, I, of the text. I ask these questions of the text and I really want to understand, you know, cause I'm not looking for a reason to, to disobey. I'm really not. Um, I want to obey it and our current practice. I think that we are, I understand it differently than you. And you guys started at the beginning. We can't both be right. We could both be wrong, but we can't both be right. Um, I don't think that you're wrong to abide by your conscience and I'm abiding by my conscience. Ultimately we'll stand before the Lord someday and, and we have to give an account for why we, you know, walked in the way that we walked. Um, and so when I stand before the Lord, I am content, at least at this point to say, God, in our household, my wife did have authority on her head. Um, she was in submission to me as a godly woman. Um, one of the biggest ways that that's obvious is not, in a head covering, it's, it's in the number of kids that we've got. Um, you know, I mean, that is, is, um, neither, neither Beth nor I wanted a large family, but we believe that children are a blessing from the Lord. We believe that the Lord's going to lead our family. That's a matter of conscience for us. And, 
My goodness, he is sure has seen fit to bless us with a lot of them so far. And I don't know what that sure number has. will be <laughs> eventually. Um, um, but, you know, if my wife wasn't in submission to me as the leader of our household, we would have stopped at two or three. Um, and so I think it's funny. Sometimes people look and go, oh, she's just not in submission to you. She just won't wear a, you know, uh, she just won't wear a head covering. For, for the things that my wife has submitted uh, to me on, uh, you know, changing careers, going into pastoral ministry, um, having 10 children, like all of these things, um, putting a piece of cloth on her head is, is a small matter. Like there are, there are many bigger things. Um, and again, my, my, I ultimately leave it up to her if she wanted to wear when she could, if she didn't, that's fine. We just, I don't, I think it sometimes muddies the waters more than clarifying. Um, just because most people in our culture do not understand what it, what it means. Um, and then maybe it's a reason to try and redeem the culture. Maybe it is. It's a fair question. I don't know how much of the the culture we can redeem by, by bringing these, these other symbols. However, I did just want to make that point that the word symbol is supplied by the translators. It's not actually in the text, unlike the, the symbols or these, these types or the, these, these actual physical symbols like communion, like baptism. So sorry, what what were you about to say? No, I I was saying, you know, I would, I would definitely affirm all of that. And again, I've, I've known Beth for, for a, decade and so i i praise god for her and and for the way that she's encouraged Alyssa over the years um and so so maybe That's a two-way street by the way just so oh, you know well, thank uh, you yeah appreciate yeah. that um and so if i have to fall back to where rc Sproul fell and say there might be an instruction and a command in scripture that my wife wear a head covering i want to obey that but i know that there's not an instruction not to um, and, and so, yeah, I, I want to approach this humbly. And again, I, I'm not trying to convince necessarily anyone, um, what I do want to, you know, read the text, ask mm-hmm. the questions, pray, uh, you and your wife together, go talk to your elders. Um, they're probably going to tell you, you don't have to great. <laughs> you know, um, I'm not, I'm not going to be offended or, or try to try to knock any doors down convincing you of this, but, but, but maybe there's an instruction. And, and again, I, I want to obey that to the best of my ability. And, and, you know, regardless of how obedient I, I may be, or my family may be with head coverings. Yeah. There are 10 other areas that I'm, that I'm failing and falling short. And so, um, you know, I thank God for his grace and his mercy towards us. And, and so if this, if this is a sin, hopefully it's not one that I'm falling into. And if it's not a sin, uh, you know, so be it. Yeah. Well, I certainly don't want to be contentious about it. And I, um, maybe I received that a little better from you than I do from R.C. Sproul. I, he was never my favorite. Uh, I got nothing, you know, I'm, I got nothing against R.C. Sproul, but I just, uh, uh, I think that that is a fair, if, if he's the original source for that, I think that that's a fair thing, for, at least for us to wrestle with, think about, pray about. Um, and, um, you know, if, if anybody's watching this that, uh, that, that hasn't thought about these things, um, we should, we should take this to the Lord and say, Lord, what, what would you, how are you leading? What would you have us do? And, you know, if I'm supposed to stand out um, in the culture, I'm willing to do that. Um, you know, I'm certainly anytime you go and stand on a street corner and, and lift up your voice and, and preach Christ, you know, you're 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 making a, a show of yourself. And so, you know, if 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 we should be bringing back some of these other symbols, um, again, I'm not against that in, in principle. And so, I, I will spend some more time thinking about that. I did want uh, one last question. I wanted to ask you guys. It seems like we're kind of nearing the end of this conversation, but I, I just wanted to get your thoughts. But Eric, before I ask my last question, do you have any other uh, final thoughts or perspectives to share um, as this is beginning to wind down? Um, well, I just want to say, Greg, I, I 
definitely uh, respect you and your your decision to uh, you know to to have your wife wear a head covering, and she was willing to do that. I think that's I, I think it, it, obviously if if that's your conviction, um, then you should do that. And I respect the fact that you didn't just jump right into this, but you you studied the text. Uh, you really were seeking to understand what it meant, and you didn't you didn't take it lightly. So I, I do I do greatly respect that. Um, and I, I just again I, I guess going back to what we were talking about earlier about Romans fourteen, I, I see it as a Romans fourteen type uh, type situation personally. Um, I don't I don't think my my opinion is I don't think wearing a head covering makes a woman better. I don't think not wearing one makes her worse. I think it's really her her behavior, her you know, her heart. The disposition uh, of her heart. Yeah. Amen. The disposition of her heart. That's Amen. I think that's the I think that's the key. And you would, and you agree completely with that, Greg. I already, I already know Absolutely. that. Um, so that's, that's just kind of where I stand. Well, the last question that I wanted to ask you guys, and it's not, I bri- just briefly touched on it, but do you have anything to say for anybody again, who might be watching, listening in on this and, and thinking, okay, here are these three guys talking about, you know, women ought to submit or whatever. Like, do you have any um, clarifications or, or thoughts that you'd like to add to those who, really do revolt against the idea of complementarianism in general, the, the act, you know, and, and I know Eric, you kind of spent a little bit of time just talking about it is obvious to you, but I think you guys recognize that we live in a culture that's becoming less and less obvious to more and more people as every day goes by. There, there are many people who it's not just about, um, you know, the quote unquote fight for feminism in the past, um, and, and allowing women to, you know, we're not talking about suffrage, you know, the right to vote and, 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 and getting into the workforce. Um, you know, the, the, the issues kind of run deeper and Greg, thinking back all the way to our very first, you know, episode, kind of when we applied our own labels, you happily applied patriarchal. <laughs> uh, yeah. that is one that is becoming, you know, less and less and less popular every, every moment. Um, and so, uh, you know, everybody uses that with like disdain, like, oh, you're so the, the patriarchy, but you don't. Um, and so, uh, you know, this is not a, a war against women. Um, I actually view feminism as a war against women to try and blur those lines, to try and let people think that masculinity is only worth celebrating when expressed in women and femininity is only worth celebrating when expressed in men uh, leads to all sorts of, of confusion. Um, and, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it seems, it seems that seems toxic. Um, that's not to say that, um, there are aspects of, of these things. Like I'm not for chauvinism. I do not think that men ought to, you know, put women in their place or that's not, that's not what I'm arguing for. And I don't think that's what you guys are arguing for. So I guess that's kind of a convoluted way of just asking, like, as we've talked about head coverings, we've talked about submission. You know, I wanted to at least bring in this text itself in talking about those issues. It talks about God, the father and God, the son, Submission is a godly characteristic. Um, none of us view Jesus as lesser than the Father, and yet he submits to the Father. Um, you know, God is the head of Christ. Okay, um, some view that to deny the Trinity. None of us do. We are all Trinitarian uh, you know, believers. And so um, none of this discussion is to tear down women or talk that, say that women are lesser than men or less important, or that e- or that any of the functions even of, of male and female are better or worse. And he said that, like he gets into that in this text, a verse that we didn't talk about, like we're dependent on each other. 
we get our, our, our birth from women, men with all of our strength. I might be able to do more push-ups than my wife. Um, but I can't bring a child into the world like she can. I've got to, I've got to watch her do that 10 times in our household. And you know, there's no, there's no, uh, um, technological advance that can happen. There's no, uh, degree I can get. There's no amount of money that I can earn to get that will ever allow me to create life within my body and, and bring it into the world. It's a, it's a gift of God that God has given specifically uniquely to, to females. And it's, it's tragic to me how often feminism wants to like throw that away as if that's some small thing. Literally our human race cannot exist without that thing. Uh, it's the most, you know, it's, it's how we bring life into the world. And, and often, um, you know, the, the feminist, uh, side of the aisle attacks that and wants to diminish that and, and, and bring women into, you know, uh, so many other things that quite frankly, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't see the value in it. It doesn't seem that God sees the value in it. So those are my long winded thoughts. I apologize for again, rambling on with the question, but before we close, I just wanted to give opportunity to hear your thoughts on these things. Do you agree with what I'm saying? Do you have different, different perspective that you'd bring? Uh, and just anybody that thinks, listen to these chauvinists talking about women submitting, uh, just a few thoughts on it before we, before we say goodbye for today. Eric, do you want to go ahead? Uh, if, if you want me to, um, the, the world has no standard of truth when it comes to uh, men and women's roles. Uh, and because they have no standard of truth, they're basically just grasping at the wind. They, they, they're making things up as they go along. Uh, there's, there's no way to ground the things that they're claiming about gender roles or the, the lack thereof. Uh, so they're, they're just shooting in the dark. Uh, the Christian, on the other hand, has a standard of truth, which is the Word of God, uh, the Bible inspired by God. It, it explains God's uh, reasons for creating men and women the way that he did. Um, and so we, we have a standard of truth to go by. And um, as far as, you know, being chauvinist and, and that kind of stuff, you know, the Bible is absolutely not that way. Uh, Paul commanded the church. He commanded the husbands in the church to love their wives just as Christ loved the church in a self-sacrificial way. And uh, Peter said that uh, men should, husbands should treat their wives with gentleness and respect. And he, he says, because they're fellow heirs. In other words, they're, as far as inheritance goes, they're, they're equals. They, uh, we all share the same inheritance. Uh, there's neither male nor female in the church. And that doesn't mean there's no gender roles, but it simply means that we're equally children of God. There's not, you know, stepchildren of God and regular children of God. Uh, we're all we're all children of God. We all share in the inheritance. So the Bible it it, it presents a view of men and women uh, that is equal but different. There we're equal in terms of uh, sonship. We're different in terms of role, and uh, that's not a bad thing. And it's I think if 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 people realize that. If, if these roles are embraced, then families are happier, society benefits, the world becomes a better place. I really believe that following God in this way and in every other way makes everything far better. And so, yeah, I, I would definitely agree with all that. And I'm, I'm going to assume that if you're still listening, viewer, you're probably a Christian. And so I'll talk to you as if you are Christians. Um, we so often come up 
against these ideas, you know, patriarchy, what an evil word, what a scary thing. Um, and we lose sight of the fact that, or, or perhaps we, we get confused and we think, oh, you know, God put this in there to, to make another rule for us. But understand that he's, he made that for your good. If there is an instruction that says women wear head coverings, it's for your good. It's for our good. It's for the good of the church. Um, patriarchy. It's a good thing when done properly, right? Yes, of course, we can We can twist any one of these instructions, every one of the principles. We can abuse that um, because of our, our sinful nature and our capacity to rebel against God. But when done properly, when done lovingly, when done obediently and humbly, this is for your good. It's for, it's for all of our good. And so I would just enc- encourage you. As you're studying this or as you're studying other things or, you know, um, it's, it's becoming more and more popular for Christians to say, oh, you know, I, I don't go to church. I don't attend church. Um, well, consider that God created the church for your good. And so abandoning that or, or maybe abandoning head coverings or, or whatever the case may be, it might be to your detriment. It's not just another rule to follow. It's not just another yoke to put on your shoulders. It's actually freeing. It's actually liberating and beneficial and, and infuses life and happiness and joy into your family, into your life, into your wife's life, or your husband's life um, by, by graciously, happily, joyfully submitting to these things. Well, Eric, Greg, I can uh, very uh, easily say amen to both of those things. And um, I've, tried to tell people many times as a pastor and a teacher, you know, God is not holding out on you. I know before I uh, came to Christ, I, I really thought that, you know, God was just interested in us jumping through all these hoops, kind of to, you know, see if we would just do what he says. Um, but he's offering us life. And the world is encouraging us constantly to chase the wind, thinking that maybe we'll be the ones who finally catch it. And so when God tells us something, yeah, he's not not holding out on us, um, the whole fear of missing out or whatever. Oh, you know, I, God is telling us that which is good. He is telling us that which is truly life. And so it is always good and right to seek him and to do things the way that he has told us uh, that will always be the best. So, um, so amen. Uh, brothers, as always, I, enjoy, uh, I enjoyed the conversation. I appreciate your perspective. I uh, look forward to seeing you guys again next time. And uh, if you're still watching, uh, you got value out of this, don't forget to click that thumbs up button. Let us know what you think down in the comments. And until we see you again, get equipped, obey your king, and glorify your God.